Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Well, we're wrapping up a series uh, that we have entitled Masterpiece on Jesus's masterpiece of a sermon, Sermon on the Mount. I'm hoping as we just, we haven't even scratched the surface of Sermon on the Mount, uh, but I'm hoping that it spurs you to go back and to read and to study and to dig uh, because there's so much more. Uh, But I believe God has a word for us in store, uh, in mind for us today. And I've entitled the message, It's Your Turn or It's Our Turn, whoever you're talking to. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much, God, that as we open up your word this morning, God, I just thank you for your peace. I thank you for your presence. But I ask that you'd stir us. God, I pray you would stir our hearts. God, awaken dead areas. Lord, I pray that we would come alive in the areas that have been dormant. Lord, even as uh, Ezekiel prophesied over the dry bones, Lord, I pray that as your word is declared, that, Lord, life um, would begin to penetrate our heart in a fresh way this morning. So may we encounter you. uh, Speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say that all of us, you know, there's a propensity to gravitate towards comfort. Would you guys agree with me? Uh, some of you guys, maybe you live on the edge. Maybe you're never comfortable. Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, there is this, this propensity to always gravitate towards what is comfortable. I, I remember back in the day when somebody uh, wanted me to hold their baby, it was very uncomfortable. I'm happy to say I'm comfortable today. Uh, I'd like to welcome Pastor Chris and Lauren's new baby girl. This is a Laura Amatrano, and you can see she's smiling at me. Senses the anointing and the presence of God. So good. But I have three kids now, so I I gladly, I love, love babies. But back in the day, I got really nervous. If somebody were to say, hey, here's my newborn, will you hold him or her? There was this, this feeling on the inside of me that, you know, kind of raised the question, what do you want me to do with this little human? Right. <laughs> How fragile? I'm not sure. What if I drop? What, I mean, all these different things, right? And so, so there, there are several occasions, whether I'd be around family or friends, and they would say, here you go. And it would feel like this. Okay, sure, hurry up, go use the bathroom, go do whatever you need to do. And this was kind of the posture, right? And then as soon as they got back, here you go, yep, here you go, and then just instant relief, like, oh, Lord, thank you. Um, they took that baby away. But, but there's just this propensity towards gravitating towards things that are comfortable. And, and I think the same is true uh, when you think about an elevator. Nothing can be more uncomfortable than an elevator. Elevator can be very uncomfortable because when you enter into an elevator, have you noticed that people's behavior changes in a moment's time? Like they're conversating outside, being loud, everybody's talking, but the moment they enter into the elevator, the code of silence. Everybody walks in, and then there's that awkward moment where everybody's trying to figure out, what do I do? I just remain silent and stare at the numbers, right? It's as if nobody has ever seen the number two. Everybody's just like, whoa, number two, three, four. And then you have the person that's closest to the numbers just pressing it a thousand times, thinking that it's going to speed it up. It's just a nervous habit because it's uncomfortable to be in a small space with people that you don't know. 
right? And so, so I, I think that uh, some, of the, some of the moments that we've had in elevators, uh, we've had some actually hilarious moments in elevators because they're already awkward enough, right? People uh, want to just look down. They don't want to conversate. You ever try to talk to somebody in an elevator? It's like, huh. Like doing some serious email work uh, on the journey up to the third floor, right? And so, but if you really want to make it absolutely awkward, just start to sing a worship song in the middle of the elevator. Just, just bust out in song. Just, I, I mean, a million angels fall face down on the floor. All to, right, just, just start singing a worship song. You'll freak people out. How do I know? Because I've experienced it. I live. My wife, she is a worshiper. Uh, I'm a worshiper too, but in the elevator, I'm a silent worshiper. I worship in my heart. Uh, but, but she has no shame. I remember we were in Sacramento about six years ago. We entered this elevator, and there's this older woman that's standing there, and I'm heeding to the code of silence. And, you know, I'll say hi or whatever the case may be, but Jackie starts busting out in song. And I feel this lady's tension. I feel the uncomfortableness, and I'm looking at her like, I'm sorry, I don't really, uh, I'm, I'm adhering to the code, but she's not. It's just awkward. But, but I, I think the tragedy is this. The tragedy is many times we, we, we come to church, and, and we, we can have our little Christian holy huddles, right? We can, we can have uh, kind of this, um, you know, everything is Christian, Christian t-shirts, Christian music, you know, we're, we're engaged in church, we're praying for one another, we're concerned for one another, we love one another, and all that's good. All that is, God calls us to all of that. But what breaks my heart is many times, it's the moment we walk out the doors, it's as if we entered an elevator. Wow. It's, a, it's as if we entered the elevator and all of a sudden the code of silence begins. And it's like, let me just do whatever I can to blend in so nobody knows. That's real. Put on my little Christian ninja suit. You'll never know. <laughs> right? And so, and automatically, like, we, we leave this place and our behavior has the propensity to shift instantly. Because it's a little more comfy that way. It's a little more cozy. Just, just want to, you know, do life where I blend in. And that's just, it's, it's kind of like, hey, I don't, I, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want people to think I'm really radical. I don't want people to think I'm over the top. So I'm just going to blend in. And there's nothing really different about our lives, right? We, we walk our, our dogs down the neighborhood. We talk to people just like everybody else does. We say hi, we wave hi. But there's just nothing different about our lives that separates us. And I think the scary part is the easy thing in that, in that space, it's to get comfortable or to get consumed with ourself to such a degree that we forget about the world around us that may not be a big fan of Jesus. How many of you guys know our world is not a big fan of Jesus right now? But desperately need Jesus, they just don't know it. Yeah. If they're desperately longing for him, they just don't know. And so I would propose to you today is that as a follower of Jesus, there is a call to live dangerously over comfortably. Now, when I say dangerously, I'm not, and I, and I say this, I'm not trying to make any state. I'm not, we're, we're not, I don't even know if I should say it. I'm not even going to say it. Um, when I say dangerously, I'm not talking about jumping on a trampoline with no scissors or with scissors. That's dangerous. That's kind of foolish dangerous. I'm going to jump on a trampoline with scissors, right? I'm not talking about going and hitting people over the head with the Bible. I'm not talking about doing crazy things in the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about that kind of dangerous. I'm talking about a radical allegiance to him in a culture of selfishness, religious compromise, and complacency. To live for him in the midst of that space. 
to live dangerously for the gospel. See, there, there's, there's this, this gravitation towards comfortable. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 this is where it's at. And we're like, no, 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 this is where it's at. No, yes, no. And even in, it's nothing new. Because even in the scriptures, even in the first century, we see people wrestling with this. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he knows something's missing from his life. And he's like, man, Lord, I, how do I get this eternal life? And the Lord realizes that money is an idol for him. So he says, oh, I know your issue. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Dangerous. Oh, no, I can't do that. Comfortable. And so what happens? He leaves comfortably sad. It says that he walked away sad. He's comfortable, but he's sad. It doesn't seem very joyous. The disciples were kind of like this. Dangerous comfort. Dangerous comfort. Right? Because Jesus uh, invites them to follow him, and they leave their, their jobs, they leave their livelihood, and they follow Jesus. But then things start happening. Miracles are taking place. Signs and wonders. Demons are subject to them. And it's like, man, I get used to this. Feeding of the 5,000. I mean, Jesus takes, you know, a little Lunchable from a kid and then multiplies it to feed 5,000. Like, that's comfortable. And so anytime he would talk about the cross, the disciples were like, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about the cross. Let's, let's, let's talk about these miracles. Let's, let's, get, let's do some more of that stuff. Like, hey, do you think just maybe, like, the Romans are getting close to being wiped out? Like, what are, like could you just do a little fireball? Like, some, like there's just this, this sense of we don't want to talk about the cross. Jesus talked about it so much, and then when it happened, it was like the disciples were surprised. I just think they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't, want to, they, they didn't understand the reality and the gravity that was happening. And so, so they kind of got comfortable. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And I'm sure that the sense was, oh my gosh, you're alive. Do you want to do, are we taking Rome now? Are, are, is, ever, is our economy going to get better? Is our livelihood going to increase? And Jesus is like, no, that's not really what's about to happen. He said, I, I'm actually going to ascend, ascend to the Father. And now it's your turn. Now I am sending you. And for the disciples, you just think for imagining, like, these guys just killed you. And now you, you want us to go and be your hands and feet, right? You want us to go and take our turn to continue the mission of spreading the gospel. And so full of the Holy Spirit, they begin on this mission. I love Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. It says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So Jesus is continuing his sermon on the mount. And I want you to get this picture. Jesus is inviting the disciples. He said, I'm going to ascend. Now it's your turn. But you got to understand in this first century, it was super dangerous. They just killed Jesus. And I think it reflects so beautiful in this passage that blessed are you, the blessed life, hashtag blessed are you, when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of false things against you because of me. Now, now in, in the West here, we may not feel the persecution a ton, but the insults and the falsely act, false accusations, I think are alive and well today. But a lot of times we don't equate those things with rejoice and be glad. It can destroy our day. But the key is this. The key is because of me. Jesus didn't say, hey, rejoice and be glad because you're being obnoxious. <laughs> rejoice and be glad because you're suffering 
because of your own temper, your own anger, your own selfish ambition. If people are throwing insults and all that stuff about you, Jesus is like, that's not because of me. But he's like, when you're walking this out, when you're living these beatitudes, when you're walking as my hands and my feet, and you're being a light in the midst of darkness, when you are, are, are going into the world and people insult you for living godly, rejoice and be glad. And so, so it's almost like this. I'm calling you out of your comfort, but then in the midst of the danger, there's a different kind of comfort. So, so it's weird. It's, it's kind of this comfort complacency to this dangerous comfort that, that we find this joy, this rejoicing in this, we can be glad this blessed life is found in the midst of danger. This blessed life is found in the midst of hostility, in the midst of insult. There's a, a blessing. There's, there's a joy in the midst of all of it. And so when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's a little bit dangerous, but he's like, on the other side of that danger or in the midst of that danger, there is a joy. There's a blessed life. There is a comfort that you couldn't understand unless you're walking it out. It reminds me of the church of Iran. We, we uh, were talking with the young adults this last week in our small group about this, and I, th- I think it's so profound. Right now, Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. And they're totally decentralized, meaning they don't have a place to gather like this. But, but when you look in Iran, when you hear the stories and the testimonies that, man, mosques are being emptied because the gospel is flourishing in the midst of great persecution, in the midst of great hostility. And, and this, is, this is the awesome part. The, the majority of the movement, is, it's led by a majority of women, there's like a 55% to 42% ratio between men and women. And they said the, the women are so gentle and so just beautiful and humble. But when it comes to the kingdom of darkness, when it comes to Satan, they're ferocious. And they're, they're, they are relentless. They have decided that even if my body has to suffer, I will lay my body down as a living sacrifice that others might know him. I mean, that, that, like they have to have these conversations. Like husband and wife have to conversate and come to the agreement that we may not come home tonight. Are we good with that? And they have resolved that. Women, if they're captured, they, they get brutally raped. They're thrown into prison and it's, execution is like almost inevitable. And so, so you, you figure that it's so dangerous, but, but then there's just this sense of, of, of great security, of great confidence. There, there's this hope that they found in Christ that's unshakable. In fact, uh, one gentleman explains the story of him and his wife. They moved to the United States. And after living here a short time, she's like, babe, you gotta, we got to go back to Iran. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, like we're here. We're, we're, we're free. We don't, we don't have to worry about death. She's like, there's a spiritual lullaby over this place that I am more afraid of that spiritual lullaby than I am dying in Iran. We got to go back. And I was like, I mean, what propels somebody? There's a blessed life in the midst of the danger. I've told you a story before with uh, Francis Chan tells a story about these missionaries that got captured by the Taliban. And once they got released, they came back to their pastor one by one and said, hey, pastor, we're having just such a hard time connecting with Jesus like we did in that prison cell. And so it's like in the midst of this danger, Jesus calls us out of comfort to live this dangerous life, which is really just a godly life in the midst of a hostile culture. 
that there is a blessedness, there is a joy, there is the, a richness of God's presence, a security and an anchor that you just can't describe. And so, so hopefully you've memorized this by now, but this is the reality that happiness is not found by pursuing something you think you need. Hopefully that has got, gotten embedded in you over this series, but it's rather it's pursuing Jesus and letting him form you into the person he's called you to become. He looked at his disciples and he said this, hey guys, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. You guys ready? That sounds pretty dangerous. Like I'm sending you as my ambassadors to what? To be salt. He says after, he says, blessed are those when, when, you, when you're insulted and persecuted and people say all types of false things about you for my namesake, he said, rejoice and be glad. And then he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, salt in this first century was a very hot commodity. It was a valued commodity. Uh, soldiers were paid in salt. Um, it, it was a, a symbol of friendship and community. Like if you came over, we're going to share a meal together. I'm going to sprinkle some salt on that. It's gonna, there, it, it was just this, this sense, brought this sense of hospitality, not to mention its healing qualities. And so Saul, anybody ever get like one of those like cuts in your mouth or you have a sore in your mouth and you, you know, you're supposed to rinse out with salt water. I used to hate doing that as a kid. But, but there's just something healing about it. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with David and what did he use? He used salt. Just kind of symbolically for its, 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 its preserving ability. That, that it, it can go the distance. And so, so even offerings in the Old Testament, many offerings weren't acceptable if there wasn't salt sprinkled on them. And so the Lord is like this. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm placing my spirit on the inside of you. I'm going to transform you. All things become brand new. Old things have passed away. You're going to embody my character, my values, manifested through your own personality. I want you to go and live this out, this blessed life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I want you to go into the world as if it was me going in. And remember, we talked about that the, the religious leaders, they had a way. Pharisees were like, hey, we're going to usher in the Messiah by keeping the moral law. It's kind of a moralistic grid that they saw through. We're just going to, you know, behave. I was like, man, that's so much more than that. The Essenes were like, let's just get away from everything. Let's run to the desert. Let's hide. Let's keep ourselves unspotted from this world and just live in our little subculture. The Sadducees were like, hey, let's, let's make a deal with the Romans and just live in peace. And then the Zealots were like, let's do whatever it takes, right? Just let's get hostile, whatever it takes. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Let my spirit transform you. Let these beatitudes resonate from your life, then go into the world and be salty. I know salty today is like a bad word. Like, you don't want to be salty today. But that's, that's, that's such a perfect example. Like, the kingdom is opposite. The world says salty is a bad thing. The Lord says, no, salty is great. Because you can go and preserve. Go and heal. Go give. Go and confront with the good news of Jesus. Can I just tell you, the gospel presented in its sweetest form is still confrontation against sin, and it's not comfy. I want you to go and be salt, because it's only then that the world will know that you're my disciples. And a lot of times, it's not something just huge and big and powerful, right? 
like this, this huge feat, like, okay, we got to go out now and do this huge event. No, no, like, like there's, there's power in simplicity. Like, just think about the word no. The word no is pretty powerful. Like when your kids tell you no, anybody ever's kids ever tell them no? What? You're like, my kids don't tell me no. Yeah. They do in different ways. But there's just something powerful about the word no. It's very small, but it packs a huge punch. It's, it's very powerful. Um, there was a story. We, we went, we, uh, I took our team. We did like a virtual conference with our staff. And one of the guys, he's a journalist, and he tells a story about uh, a family by the name of the Benda family in uh, uh, Czechoslovakia during communism. And the Benda family, they, they were followers of Jesus in the midst of a very hostile environment. And so they, they lived about, I think it was like just a, a couple of miles from the police station where they would do all the interrogations. So people would come through being interrogated all the time. They would have about 20 people on average a day come through their home. And what they would do, the Bennett family, how they served is they were just hospitable. They fed people. They gave them some tea. They trained them on how to, you know, how to answer and, and kind of equip them for what they were getting ready to endure. And then they would send them off and the people would go and get interrogated. They would come back and some would do really well and some would just, they just cave and they would give and they would say, it's okay. They would encourage them, say, you're going to do better next time. And here's some more food. Here's some tea. And just this simple act of hospitality and encouragement um, was said that it was part of, one of, it was part of the res- regime's um, resistance, but it was also one of the aspects that led to its downfall. Just a simple home, inviting people in, in a time where community was not encouraged, when, when people were lonely and lacking, scared. It's like, let's, let's have some tea. Let's have a meal. I, I just wonder what some small things we could do that would just be salty, where the world would be like, whoa. Like I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and he's like, yeah, all these guys, they, you know, after work, they go next door, and they, you know, they kind of party a little bit. And he said, so I went over there, and he doesn't party or anything like that. And right away, it just raises questions. Like, how come? You know, I think so many times it's, it's these little things that can move toward deep and meaningful conversations. It's, it's just avoiding gossip. Like, like, what if somebody's coming to gossip to you and you're like, hey, listen, man, I'm so sorry. I'm sure there's a lot going on, but I just don't do that. Like, how about, you know, you go and talk to them. I'm sure they'd love to reconcile with you. They're going to be like, what? Are you serious? And it's going it's to raise some questions. Well, well why? Because that's just, I'm salty. I, I, um, I, I, you know, that's, I, that, that stuff has no place in me. Yeah. I mean, so I'm just saying, what are some of the small things that you can do? I love what First John says. First John chapter 2, verse 36 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. And so I would just ask today, man, how's your walk? How's your walk? Does it look like Jesus? 
I, I love what the, I, I just walked as he walked. I mean, this is everyday life, just so simple. I think sometimes we're looking for an event or we feel like we got to do a big thing. And because of that, we don't do small things and we miss opportunity to be salt. Salt is very small. I mean, you just put a little bit of salt. Jackie loves salt. She's like, babe. I like, need like 10 glasses of water and it's green beans. And so, so, so it's small, but it, but it packs a big punch. And I'm just wondering what would life look like if we just walked a little bit more like Jesus every single day. So he said, I want you to be salty. But then he goes on to say, you are the light. You are the salt and you are light. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Like it just doesn't make sense, right? Let's light a lamp, put a bowl on it. He says this, he says, instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Notice how it doesn't say, see your good deeds and magnify yourself. See your good deeds and give you a nice boost of confidence. No, it's no, we're doing this for the glory of God. Yeah. The glory of God. And, and so, so in the first century, th- these little lamps, they were, they were small. They, they had a little bit of oil in them, little tiny little lamps, and they would put them at the highest point many times of the house or on a stand so that it would illuminate the most. How many of you guys know we live in, in, a, in a pretty dark region? But I'm so encouraged by that. Like when I hear that we are the most unchurched and de-churched region in America, that, that it breaks my heart, but it doesn't discourage me. Because I know that we are called for such a time as this to go and be light. So not only do we want to be salt and pack a huge punch, we want to go into darkness. Light shines the brightest in dark places. Jesus said, hey, you want to be my disciples? Take the gospel to dark places. Take it in to the dark places. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says this, it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel that I've kept. He said, I I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation would reach the ends of the earth. It's almost like, hey, just reaching Israel, (laughs) that's too small. We're going to the ends of the earth. We're going into the darkest of dark places. Even as I read that, you just feel the intensity Lord, you've called us to the ends of the earth. You feel the magnitude that this mission in the midst of darkness is impossible without him. Like to try to live out the Beatitudes apart from him. As you read the entire Sermon on the Mount, what you feel is the gravity of, Lord, apart from you, there's no way I can live my life like this. It's impossible. Like I need you, Holy Spirit, to really do something on the inside of me that I would really walk in your ways, not just have some knowledge about you, but walk with you in such a way where the world would take notice. Because in this first century, as Jesus was addressing, every, everybody was very inward and self-focused. And I, can I you know, let you know that over this last year, I think it's made us more inward and more self-focused. Uh, maybe that wasn't the intention, but everything was about self-preservation. Uh, and, and there was just this aspect, though, of like, you know, we want to care for our neighbor, but I, but I think what's happened, though, is there's been such a disconnect that now I'm kind of afraid of my neighbor. I really don't want to get close to my neighbor. How long will that continue, right? And I'm, I'm not making any statements on the, the virus or anything like that. I, I know that, you know, you need to take precautions and do all those things. But I'm saying we can't let that affect our heart from reaching people. As followers of Jesus, this is our mandate. This is our call. And so, so as, as the, the first century 
folks, they were just focused on, on Rome and the economy, and that's why Jesus was such a disappointment to them. Like, you'd die on a cross? You weren't the Messiah we had hoped for. Like, you ever put an expectation on God that should never be there? And then all of a sudden you're disappointed, but God's like, I, I never was that in the first place. Like, like you're putting me in, in some type of a box, and that's just, that was never meant to be in that box. And so I think the temptation today is there's still a temptation to be inward. There's still a temptation to, to just focus and, and preserve ourselves. But then what is different from the rest of the world if we live that way? Like, what is really different about us? I, I love this... Uh, this guy who works in Silicon Valley, he, is, uh, he works for a large tech company, and he, he, there's this article I want, I want to read to you, or just a, a brief portion of it. He said, uh, he said earlier this year, my, my employer announced a new remote working policy, granting us the freedom to relocate. Given that our material and spiritual quality of life would seemingly improve anywhere else, we seriously considered a move. To be clear, God calls people to different places. In our family, though, we have identified three reasons to joyfully stay here in the Silicon Valley. Number one is the Silicon Valley helps us to radically trust and rely on Jesus. While the, the lack of the robust gospel presence here discour can discourage us, by removing ourselves, we abandon the opportunity to be a part of the solution. We would be telling our Savior, we don't trust you to use us for your glory in a dark place. So please take us to a more comfortable and gentler pasture. He said, living in the valley, on the other hand, requires us to radically trust in God's promise that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Such necessary reliance on Jesus through our weakness is a rewarding sojourn. Few places in the nation offer opportunity to this extent. Number two, he said, Silicon Valley changes the faithful, uh, challenges the faithful to shine brightly for the glory of God. In a, counter, in a counter gospel culture, imagine the opportunities for us to witness to people. In a culture that values career and wealth above all, we can hold both loosely for the sake of our witness. In a culture that struggles to sustain its fragile peace based on health, wealth, reputation, altruism, our eternal joy can rest visibly in the person and work of Jesus. Every day in Silicon Valley gives us a unique opportunity to obey Jesus' call in Matthew chapter 5, verses 16, which is uh, in the Beatitudes here. He says, and then number three, I can't read the whole thing. Number three, he says, Silicon Valley is a mission field like no other. My adjacent neighbors are Buddhists from Hong Kong, a Muslim from Bangladesh, across the street is a Mormon from Utah, a Christian from Korea. My landlord is agnostic, and my manager of five years is Hindu. He said, the diverse relational web is not rare for the residents of Silicon Valley. He said, living and working among, uh, among us are people from all the nations and cultures where the gospel has little or no penetration. Silicon Valley also reaches across the globe. People from all nations uh, are using the products that we develop. And so, so he just goes on to this list. But one of the things he says, he says, when I think about the high rent and the, the expensive mortgages we paid, a, you know, over a million dollars for our townhome, he said, compared to the persecution that's happening across the globe, the price seems relatively small. And so, so you just think like, man, there's opportunity here. I'm so grateful. See, as Jackie and I, by the grace of God, as we have recently been able to purchase a home for us, it's not, it's not even about the home. It's, 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 it's just like they were talking about a townhome. It's not a million dollars, praise God. Um, but but the, the, the significance for us is the planting of roots. 
Like, like we're here. And, and God has called us to be lights in the, in the midst of darkness. Because when salt loses its flavor, it becomes useless. It becomes trampled. I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to live my life. So, so, so here's my encouragement. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. But then we got to go. Listen, we, we can go courageously in light of Jesus' authority. We can go courageously in light of Jesus' authority. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love, we we always like to say this around here, is that you want to be close to God, get on mission with him. He promises to be there. But, but there's, there's this, this sense of, of the authority, and all authority has been given to me, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore, it's there for a reason in the scripture. In light of his authority, he says, go. All authority. Like, like when Jesus walked on the earth, I mean, the disciples got to see this firsthand. The dead weren't allowed to be dead anymore. Come back. The blind weren't allowed to be blind anymore. See, if there was a bad weather day, he'd speak to the weather. Come on, that's, that's awesome. Right? Demons were coming out of people. Even confessing him as being the Lord, scared and terrified of what he would do with them. All authority. He says, go and be salt and light in the light of the authority that I give you because I'm giving you the power and the authority. Are you guys ready for this? I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you access to become everything that I've called you to and to overcome anything the enemy would throw at you. Because authority, that's what it does. It gives us access. When I went to Israel, we were on our tour. I was with a bunch of pastors. And all of a sudden, we got this announcement. Guys, we're going to the new embassy in Jerusalem. So we turned around, and we went. Now, no, mind you, you can see the construction in the back. It wasn't even constructed yet. No tourists, no people are even allowed to be in here. How did we get in? Because there's this guy called the U.S. ambassador. He wanted us to come. And his authority gives us access to places that we would never be able to reach on our own. And can I just tell you, in this time, and he took about 30 minutes with us and just talked to us about what's going on and the construction, told us some stories. He said, if you ever come back here, you better, you better come back and see me. There's an authority that he carries that gave us an access. Can I tell you, there are places that God has called you, that God has already prepared the way for you to go. And it looks blocked off. It looks like there'd be no way, but he's like, no, 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 all authority. There are people that God has called you to reach that are right in your spirit that you just think there's not a possible way. He says, I, I, I have access. I got access. See, I think sometimes we don't go because we don't realize that he has all authority. All authority. In fact, it goes on to say, I've given you, I've given you authority, he now says to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Remember, he's given, he has the authority to make us into everything that he's called us to be. That's what's so awesome. You look at your life, you're like, I'm such a mess. And he's like, I got access. I'm able to transform you. And I'm able to be faithful to my word as the spirit of God transforms us from the inside out. But I've also given you authority not just to become, but to overcome. 
And, and nothing, harm, nothing will harm you. Don't get it twisted. This is not bodily injury. This is not a, a passage in regards to bodily injury. It's about those who find refuge in Christ, those who find salvation in Christ, that nothing can conquer you, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. No matter what the enemy throws at you, can I just tell you, you belong to Jesus. You be, whether in this life or the life to come, you belong to him. And so when we understand his authority, what does it do? It'll change your ask. It'll change your prayer life. It'll, it'll shift your faith. Like the Roman centurion, uh, he's a Gentile person. There was only two times in the Bible where Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at once at the unbelief in his own hometown, and then he was amazed at the faith of the Gentile centurion. As, as he said, my, my servant is sick. And so Jesus is like, all right, well, let's go. He said, oh, oh, no, Lord. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. You just need to speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is like, what? Wow. Since he was amazed, he'd never seen faith like that in all of Israel. He's like, just say the word, huh? Like, you, you, you trust in me like that? You understand so your ask is different. It changes your ask when you understand his authority. How's your ask right now? Like, what does your prayer life look like? I'm not saying if you ask, you're going to get everything you want, but there's such a trust in his authority, even if you don't, you don't care. Because it's like, man, Lord, you're in control. You're sovereign over all things, and I just trust you. But I'm just telling you, when you understand his authority, you'll ask bigger. You'll start thinking in, in a different way. But, but let, me, let me tell you this. Listen, we, we can only walk in his authority if we're, if we're first submitted to it. A lot of us want to walk in authority like, yeah! But then God's like, hey, this is what I'm calling you to. These are some things I want to touch in your life. These are some things I want to change. You're like, no. I want that power stuff. I just don't want you to change my heart. I want that power, so I, I, I want to walk like that, like demon subject to my na- your name, and, you know, I want to see all that. I, w- I want to walk in that, but, oh, oh, but you want me to bow in forgiveness? Like, you want me to submit to your authority when it comes to my heart? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Will you give me access? It's one place of access. It's one place of access that you and I need, need, need to respond and say, Lord, you have access to my heart. I'm going to submit under your authority. I remember when we were getting ready to, to plant a church. We were going to plant a church, and uh, this was about maybe five or six years before we came here. And I went to my pastor, and I was like, I feel God's told us to plant a church. Can we have your blessing? Just kind of dropped it on him. He's like, sure. Go ahead. I love you. So I went and got a second job, worked at Red Bull for three days. Three days. And on the third day, I felt the hand of the Lord just press on me. I was in a cooler, stacking it like a 7-Eleven, and I just started to weep. The Lord was like, what are you doing? So I went on a fast, and I felt like what the Lord revealed to me was, you didn't even invite your pastor into the process, the authority that I've placed over your life. You need to go back and repent to him and submit to him until he releases you. And everybody was like, no, he loves you too much. He'll never let you go. And I came back, and I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. I got excited. He's like, no, he said, there's no doubt that you're ready. He said, I had a little reservation on the timing, but I wasn't trying to crush your dreams. And it brought our relationship closer. And we stayed and we served for another like five or six years faithfully, just trusting. And I remember what the Lord told me. The Lord told me that, Matt, nobody can keep you from my destiny that I have for you. Nobody can do that. 
Just trust the process. You know, David could have killed Saul, but he didn't kill him because he said, this is God's anointed. There's an authority in place that you put, Lord, I'm not there to remove it. And so I know that when we left, we left with an inheritance. We left hashtag blessed because we were sent. And I learned the beauty of submission. And so, so can I just tell you, there's, there's blessing in a dangerous life. I know we want to live comfy, but he's called you to be salt. He's called you to be light. And he's given you authority, his authority to go and make disciples. Making disciples was normal in the first century. Everybody, not the pastor just making disciples, everybody making disciples. So my, my encouragement to you today is would you answer that call? Because the blessed life isn't about pursuing something you think you need. It's about pursuing Jesus and letting him transform you into everything he's called you to become. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you, God, that that you're so gracious and merciful with us. Think how many times. That was one time I got it right. There's been a lot of times I get it wrong. And you're just so gracious. Such a beauty of walking with you and living with you. We're all on this journey. None of us have arrived. You're, you're still forming us and changing us, and awakening us. Lord, I just pray that we would be a church that would be salt and light. We just live this way. It wouldn't be a church event. It wouldn't be, it would just be the way we live our life. Submitted to you, trusting the authority that you've given us, that, it's, that you're going to give us access to, to places that we're going to even see things supernaturally, that in and of ourselves, there just would be no way, but you have authority. And in light of that, you tell us to go. Help us not to be comfortable to the point where we walk out of these doors and it's like an elevator. Help us break our hearts for the world around us, Lord. Help us to capture your heart. Help us not to be seduced by a spiritual lullaby that would keep us from mission, that would keep us from reaching people. Awaken our hearts, Lord, to this reality. And may as much as we want to walk in your authority, may we first submit to it. And invite you to change every aspect, to invite you into every chamber, Lord, that we would be able to live and walk blessed as you change us into everything you've called us to be. Listen, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Maybe you're online and you're like, today is the day. I got to go all in. If you're here, would you just slip up your hand? I just want to see if you're online, just let us know in the chat. If you're here, you say, man, I just need to go all in today. I need to surrender. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord. You need to rededicate your life. Is there anybody here? Is there anybody online that you would say, Pastor Matt, that's me? Would you just slip up your hand? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I need to get on mission again. Like you've lost sight of the mission. God has put so many people around you. You're waiting for something big. God's like, man, just start being salt. Start being light. If that's you today, would you slip up your hand and say, man, I just need to, just need to get on mission again. I need God to awaken my heart. Yes, I see your hands. Awesome. Online, let us know. Lord, I, I pray that you would awaken us, God. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, that we may live for you with all that we are. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a big hand today? 
Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.